Would you take your Bibles with me now, uh, whether in hard copy or a mobile device, and turn with me to 1 Thess chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. And as we look at those five words in verse 19 together today, uh, I want us to declare what we have been saying every week before we open the scriptures since we started in chapter 4. And as we do this, don't get lost in, oh, this is just meaningless repetition. This is an acknowledgement that it's easy to come to church and start going through the motions. And we want to pause and go, we're about to hear from God. And we don't want to miss it. We want to be ready. So this is, this is a declaration and a prayer of readiness to receive what God has for us. So with your Bible in hand, uh, let me invite you to declare this again with me. This is God's word, his heart revealed. I humbly declare his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I will not lean on my own understanding, but incline my heart now to receive his word so that I may excel still more in filling the earth with his glory by walking in his truth and loving all people as he has loved me. So we're asking the Lord and ready for him to speak to us. In order specifically this morning from verse 19 that we would not quench the spirit. We're giving four weeks to these five words for this reason. If you weren't here two weeks ago, here's the fundamental principle of why we do not want to quench the spirit. It's because of this. The spirit is to our living for God as Jesus is to our coming to God. In other words, if that don't make sense to you, here's what I mean by that. That as I cannot be saved from my unrighteousness unless God himself in the person of Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. I cannot be saved except God paid my penalty. I had a debt I couldn't pay. I couldn't earn my way. I can't morally make myself right before God. I can only be saved from my sin because God himself in the person of Jesus paid my penalty. I hope you understand that's the gospel. As true as that is, so is this equally true. So I cannot live righteously unless God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit lives in me to reveal his character and to do his work. I can't do it. So here's what I want us to capture. Through the death of Christ, I am made righteous. And when I'm made righteous, he pours his spirit into me so that I would live righteously. And all Paul is saying is this, when he says, don't quench the spirit, he's going, don't be made righteous and then not live righteously. Don't receive the gospel and then not live it out. It is, and I hope we're clear on this, Many in our culture are gospel confused. I hope we're clear. It's only through Jesus by which we can save. But let's not be Holy Spirit ignorant. Jesus clear, but Holy Spirit ignorant. It is the person of the Holy Spirit living in us by which we can then share in his work and reveal his character. When I don't do that, when I'm made righteous but don't live righteously, what am I doing? I am quenching the spirit. And let's not quench the spirit. The opposite, don't quench the spirit, but be filled with the spirit. Uh, not me this morning going, God, I need more of you. I've been given all that he is in the person of the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the spirit is to say, I've been given all of you, God. You have all of me. So that all that I do, all that I say, would be an overflow of your life lived through me. Uh, I can say from my own personal testimony, and some of you will, will relate to this. I knew that I needed a savior and I trusted in Jesus to be born again. But it was years before I learned 
what a spirit-filled life was. They shouldn't be separate, but they often become separate. It's possible that some of you here this morning have trusted in Jesus to be your sin bearer, but you still have not learned to live a spirit-filled life. You've been made righteous. You're not living righteously. You're quenching the spirit. We don't want to do this. One of the things, one of the individuals that God used greatly in my life was a man named Ian Thomas. And he wrote a book, little book, The Saving Life of Christ. I'm going to read to you an extended quote from chapter one to give you, hopefully, a picture of what it would mean for you to live a spirit-filled life. As I read this, just don't listen to the words. Ask yourself, is this, does this capture how I'm living? He says, Christ did not die simply that you might be saved from a bad conscience or even to remove the stain of past failure, but to clear the decks for divine action. The one who calls you to a life of righteousness is the one who by your consent lives that life of righteousness through you. The one who calls you to minister to the needs of humanity is the one who, by your consent, ministers to the needs of humanity through you. The one who calls you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature is the one who, by your consent, goes into all the world and preaches the gospel to every creature. How? Through you. He says, this is the divine genius that saves a man from the futility of self-effort. If it were not for this divine provision, the call to Christ would be a source of utter frustration, presenting the sorry spectacle of a sincere idealist constantly thwarted by his own inadequacy. That may be your experience. If you will, but trust Christ, not only for the death he died to, in order to redeem you, but also for the life that he lives and waits to live through you, the very next step you take will be a step taken in the very energy and power of God himself. You have begun to live a life which is essentially supernatural, yet still clothed with the common humanity of your physical body. This, of course, is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to occupy the whole of your personality with the adequacy of Christ. How stupid it would be to buy a car with a powerful engine under the hood and then to spend the rest of your days pushing it. Thwarted and exhausted, you would wish to discard it as a useless thing. Yet to some of you who are Christians, this may be God's word to your heart. When God redeemed you, through the precious blood of his dear son, he placed in the language of my illustration a powerful engine under the hood. Nothing less than the resurrection life of God the Son made over to you in the person of God the Holy Spirit. Then stop pushing. Step in, switch on, and expose Every hill of circumstance, of opportunity, of temptation, of perplexity, no matter how threatening to the divine energy that is available. With what magnificent confidence you may step out into the future when once you have consented to die to your own self-effort and to make yourself available as a redeemed sinner to all that God has made available to you in his risen son. I don't know if that paints it clearly for you, that paints it clearly for me. That, that says, man, that's the Christian life. Not only the death of Christ, but that he dwells within me so that I might live a supernatural life based on the divine energy of God himself. That's the spirit-filled life Except as I read that, you may go, I want that. But that's not my usual experience. I think you probably do. But you might relate more to Romans 7. What am I doing? I do not understand for I am not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Can you relate to that? Yeah, you're going, okay, that one I understand. I get that one. 
He says it again, verse 19. For the good that I want, I do not do, but, the, but I practice the very evil that I don't want. See, the real wrestling for those honest here this morning is to go, I want to live a spirit-filled life, but too often my experience is, I know I shouldn't, but I do, and I know I should, but I don't. Or I don't for a while, but then I do. Or I do for a while, but then I don't. It's short-lived. How... How do we remedy this and live a spirit-filled life as Ian Thomas describes? I want to invite you to turn with me from these five words in 1 Thess 5, don't quench the spirit, to Romans chapter 6. As I believe in Romans 6, Paul answers for us how we stop quenching the spirit. So Romans 6. He begins the chapter with a couple of questions. And the second one being this in verse two. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Question mark. Now, let me read it two different ways. And then I want you to answer which way do you think he was saying it? Was he saying, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or was he saying, how should we who died to sin still live in it? First or second? Yeah, folks, you understand it's a question mark, but this is, this is a, a strategy of making a statement in the form of a question. He isn't wondering, hey, how can I die to sin but still live the way I want to live? He is actually wondering, how is it that I would die to sin but then still do what I want? And then he offers three possibilities of why that might be true in my life or your life. Why we have died to sin, but still practice it. The first possibility, verses three through 10. Or do you not know? And I want you to, if you're writing your Bible, circle that word know right there, because it's gonna come up a few times in these verses. And his question is, or, or maybe you don't know. Don't know what? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might do what? Walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is, say it, freed from sin now if we have died with Christ we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead is never to die again death no longer is master over him for the death he died he died to sin once for all but the life he lives he lives to God catch it he says don't you know that and the answer for myself even though I had grown up going to church was uh no I didn't I didn't know that I knew some of it but I didn't know all that in a in one sentence he's gone here here's the deal it may be that you're not living a spirit-filled life because you don't know what Christ has done for you. You don't know. And so a spirit-filled life begins with, with what I need to know. And he says, here's what you need to know to live a spirit-filled life. You need to know that when you believe in Jesus, you are united with him in three unique and very powerful ways. You are united with him in death, you are united with him in burial 
and you are one with him in resurrection as well. Do you know that? You can't live a spirit-filled life unless you know you are one with him in death, burial, and resurrection. Why? Well, because of this. Because to be united with him in death means that the penalty for my sin has been paid in full. But it also means my slavery to sin has been broken. I'm not only forgiven, I'm, I'm a different person now. I used to be a slave to sin, now I'm not because I'm identified with him in death. Second, I'm not only identified with him in death, I'm identified with him in burial, meaning that my guilt, because he really died, he was buried, and because he paid for my sin, my guilt has been buried with Christ. Almost a year ago, out in our field, Sunday after Thanksgiving, we remembered together that our sin is out of sight, out of reach, and out of mind because it's in the ground with Christ. Do you know that? Or you still live with guilt? Third, United in resurrection means that I'm a new person. So, Paul's do a personal check. Living a spirit-filled life or, or continuing to do what you will, know you shouldn't and, and not do what you know you should. First possibility. <laughs> you don't know the full gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, you may know it historically. You may believe, yes, I know he died. Yes, I believe he was buried. Yes, I believe he rose from the dead. But you don't know how it impacts you. In other words, for me, I believed I was forgiven. I had no idea, no understanding that the death of Christ broke my slavery to sin. And I didn't know that because I didn't know I was a slave to sin. I knew I didn't know what I was supposed to do and did the things I wasn't supposed to do. I didn't know I was a slave to sin. But that because of the death of Christ, not only am I forgiven, I'm no longer a slave. And I'm no longer a slave because I had no idea that though I believed that Jesus was raised from the dead, that his resurrection meant that when I trusted in him, I became a new person. You know what I thought? And I know some of you think this. I thought being a Christian meant you're forgiven, Doug. Don't screw it up this time. You're forgiven. Now live better. I went to camp and they told me, live better. And I went to youth group and they said, live a better, stop doing this, do this. And I understood, I know, I know he died for me and I feel badly about that. And I know I, sh I, know I should do better and I'm trying, but look at me folks. <laughs> You'll never live a spirit-filled life as long as you understand the gospel is you're forgiven, be better. Because the gospel is this. You're forgiven and you are freed from sin and guilt is gone and you are a new person because only new people can live new lives. Old people, no offense to old people in the room, but we don't learn things well. We don't do new things, right? Old people don't do new things. That's a spiritual principle actually. An old person cannot live a new life. The best you can do is try to live a better life. And I gave it my best shot and I just wasn't very good at it. The only way you'll live a spirit-filled life that would really change your life and change your marriage and change your family and change who people work with is if you would understand, I'm a new person. And because Christ was raised from the dead, I want to learn to live a new life life. Huge. So it starts with, do you know? 
But now go to verse 11. Doesn't start, doesn't stop with knowing. It begins with, or do you not know? And then he says in verse 11, even so, consider yourselves. Now, now pause, pause right there and look up here for a moment, please. When he says consider yourselves, it's an accounting turn, but here's what would be most practical to you and I. He's saying, so see yourself this way. That's how you and I were. See yourself. Once you know this to be true, now learn to, on a daily basis, see yourself for who you really are. And who are you really? Dead to sin. Hey, I used to be a slave to sin. Now I'm dead to sin. And who are you? Alive to God. I used to be dead to God, but now I'm alive to God. Total switch. I'm not a cleaned up person trying to live a better life. I'm a brand new person, dead to what I was once alive and alive to what I was once dead to. That's the power of the gospel. And church is too often old people trying to live better lives. When that which Christ has died for and the spirit has been given for is that we would be new people living new lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. That we would, with a discipline of mind, learn to see ourselves for who we really are, united with him in death, burial, and resurrection. Forgiven, set free, no condemnation, made new. Now I can live a spirit-filled life life. So I have to know, and then I need to take that knowing and apply it personally. Consider yourselves. Don't underestimate the value of verse 11. Verse 11 is where we need to keep coming back to. It's what takes what is spiritually true about the historical event of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and makes it personal. Consider yourselves this way. It's not who you used to be. It's who you are now in Christ. And when I apply it personally, here will be the outflow. I'll stop trying to pay, repay what has been paid for fully. This whole idea of don't mess it up so much, live a better life. Jesus died for you, be a better person. It is rooted in the, yeah, I know Jesus died for me, but, but I need to do my part and I need to be a better person. Either he paid it fully or it's not paid. We cannot repay what Christ has paid for fully. But a lot of times we come to church to try to please the Lord. Read our Bible to please the Lord. Clean up our lives. Please the Lord trying to repay what has been paid. When I apply the death of Christ, personally I realize it's been paid for, I can't repay. And when I apply the, the burial of Christ, personally I recognize I will not dig up guilt that God has buried. And we are masters at digging up what God has placed in the ground with Christ in terms of our guilt. Practical application, I see parents all the time so overcome with the guilt of their past that they parent out of guilt, trying to make up for all the ruin that they had made in the past. You can't parent out of guilt. I mean, you can, it's just ugly. You can parent out of, I've been forgiven and I'm set free and I can live a new life. I can be a new parent, but I never want to parent out of guilt. As if somehow God has really not forgiven me. Or some Maybe you've thought this. Maybe you've even said this. I know God's forgiven me. I just can't forgive myself. Ever said that, thought that? Uh, can I speak honestly to you? Uh, that's just pure arrogance. 
do you really, are you really so holy that you're more offended by sin than God is offended by sin? If he has forgiven and taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, if your guilt is gone, then it's pure arrogance that holds on to guilt, which God has said, I don't see it anymore. Please, if God has forgiven you, what's verse 11 say to do? Consider yourself forgiven. See yourself forgiven. It is one of the greatest ploys of our enemy who does not want us to live in newness of life that keeps bringing up our guilt. And in the moment when that which has been forgiven is brought back into your face in an accusing way, you simply need to consider yourself I'm dead to sin, I'm freed from sin, I'm forgiven. That guilt has been taken out of the way, it's in the ground with Christ, and I am a new person. I can't live with guilt and be filled with the Spirit. Carrying guilt quenches the Spirit. Third, when I personally apply that I am now identified in, in resurrection, and then I'm going to stop with those old me excuses. You all may not know what I mean, so let me give you a couple examples of old me excuses like this. I just couldn't help myself. That used to be true because you were a slave to sin. That's no longer true. Maybe you didn't help yourself, but you could have helped yourself. You were not a slave to sin. So don't say, I couldn't help myself anymore. That's just not true. Learn to think biblically. The devil made me do it. Not very original. Straight out of Genesis 3, frankly. That was the original old me excuse. The devil made me do it. He didn't. You chose. You know, I, I hate to tell you this, but this was, an, this was a horrifying moment for me personally when I realized I wasn't deceived into sin. I just really wanted to sin more than I wanted to do right. That's kind of ugly, isn't it? Devil didn't make me do it. It wasn't that I couldn't help myself. I, I went out of the way to do what I wanted to do. So don't say that junk. I couldn't say no. Yes, you just didn't want to say no. God knows I'm only human. This is our favorite. I, I'm just human. You know, it's just what I do. Are you human? Yeah, are you only human? No, the scripture says, if you have trusted in Christ, you are a partaker of the divine nature. The spirit of God himself lives in you. And because God lives within you, you have, straight out of 2 Peter, you have everything pertaining to life and godliness. You are human, but you are not only human. You know why we say stuff like that? It makes us feel better about the sinful choices we willingly step into. I'm just human. No, you were just living as if you're only human when in fact you're a partaker of the divine nature. Now, track with me here. Paul's simply saying, if you're dead to sin but still living in it, either you don't know the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection and the spiritual implications, or you know it, but you're not applying it on a daily basis. You're not getting up. This is why we spent a year going, I'm a child of God, forgiven and set free from slavery to sin. The spirit of God lives in me to do the work of God through me. I'm an instrument of God for more people finding more life in Jesus. Does it flow out of you yet like that? Until the truth of who we are in Christ just flows out of us, and I don't mean by being a preacher, it just flows out of us. It's how we think of ourselves. We're never gonna live spirit-filled lives. We're going to be old people trying to live better lives. That is not the gospel. But the things I'm saying to you, frankly, you, you need to repeat them and repeat them and repeat them. I was in high school when I first heard a guy talk about a spirit-filled life in six sessions, and I thought, I, I, I don't get it. I hear it, and it makes me go, that's what I need. 
but I don't get it. And so this will give my age. So I bought the cassette tapes and I painted a house that summer in high school. And I listened to those six cassette tapes like 20 times that summer. Because old things don't die easily and new things don't become part of who we are with one message. There was folks, God going, I'm turning a light on, Doug. But you need to consider yourself for who you are, dead to sin but alive to God. And I needed to hear it over and over and over again. So after 8 o'clock, a couple of high schoolers came up to me and said, man, thanks so much. And I said, I'm glad you were here this morning. But if you don't listen to this over and over and over again, you're going to go back to old me trying to be better instead of new you learning to walk in newness of life. You hearing me? We have spent a long time living the old me. Even after we were made new, we spent a long time living the old me. And there needs to be a, a turning on of the light, but then a learning to consider ourselves for who we are in Christ. And then... <laughs> When I begin to, to see myself dead to sin but alive to God, not an old person trying to live a better life, I will recognize, wow, here's who I am. I'm a new person with a new father equipped with new power to live a new life. That's a lot of new, and that's the point. I'm a new person with a new father equipped with new power. Now, what's the, the new power? The new power is not... Because the Holy Spirit is a power. The Holy Spirit is a person, third person of the triune God who dwells within us and he has power. So when I say if I, I have new power, I, I mean I have now the power of the Holy Spirit, God himself, so that I can now live a new life. Can you look up here just, uh, this one, just one more time, folks? This is a spirit-filled life see myself as a new person with a new father, with a new power to live a new life. When I begin to see myself in that way, here's what's going to happen. It's going to be revealed in three new practices that verse 12 and 13 unfold for us. Personal knowledge is going to be revealed in three new practices. First, verse 12. Therefore, Remember, why is it there? Because I'm going to consider myself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. If it's, that's true, and I really consider myself for who I am, then I am not going to let sin reign, rule, be king in my mortal body so that I'm just a slave to my lust. I'm not going to do that anymore. So here's the way we've been saying it. That the new practice of making the truth of the full gospel personal is that I'm going to learn to deny my, and add fleshly here, I'm going to learn to deny my fleshly desires a body. This has been so clarifying for me. My desires cannot express themselves. They need a body. Greed needs a body. Pride needs a body. Lust needs a body. Fear needs a body to express itself. So I'm going to learn, because of who I am, dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, to deny my desires, fleshly desires, a body to express themselves. This is why, this, this is why I've been fasting now for 14 days. If you haven't, let me invite you to join us. Two Sundays ago, we said... We want to engage in a practice of fasting, abstaining from something in our lives because, don't miss this, because it is the way we learn to say no to fleshly desires is by practicing, by learning to say no to legitimate desires. And in saying no to legitimate desires, like to chocolate, <laughs> you can learn to say no to lust. And I said last week, I said it again, uh, the guy in the courtyard, he was like, yeah, when you said that, you know, say no to chocolate, say no to lust, he was like, yeah, I didn't buy that. And it actually has worked this week. So I don't know what you've said no to. If you haven't said, I'm going to choose to fast, I would 
beg of you, you will learn so much about learning to say no to desire by fasting. For Jackie and I, it's been dessert. So 14 days. First week, no problem. This week, ah. We had all these special, special events, you know, where then we have desserts. And I'm like, ah. And here, I learned, here's what I learned about myself. Friday night, they have all these awesome desserts at the, this dinner I'm at. And I'm thinking, I wonder if I could take some, freeze them, and they'd still be good when the 21 days are over. <laughs> and, and then I'm going, okay, that defeats the point. And then I thought, my next thought, that's how creative my sinful desires can be. I go, well, I could, I could check the box, but still get what I want. So then my brother who's back here and his wife and his daughter and her fiance, they come into town Friday night and it's their anniversary. So Jackie buys chocolates, extra chocolates to have around the house. This is his birthday today. So she buys a chocolate cake for we're going to have to go home to. I get to go home to a chocolate cake. And, and last night she was like, hey, we've got to have everybody over we got to make brownies. And I'm going, we don't need to make brownies. We can't eat them. We can't, we don't need to make them. And she goes, we should make them for them. And so last night after dinner, she brings warm brownies, places them in front of me and says, why don't you pass them out? <laughs> so here I am with the spatula going, don't drool on the people's brownies. And, and then you know what my, my wife says? She goes, Hey, hey, Doug, does it, does it count if I put my finger in the batter and like lick the batter, uncooked desserts? Because that still count? Yes. <laughs> now, what do you learn about that? Because every single one of us know what it's like to, to abstain from sin for a while and then to stick our finger in. And, and then before long, we're like, ah. Right? That's the way it always starts. Driving in this morning, I'm thinking, you know, it's kind of awkward that they're enjoying dessert and we're the host and we're not. That makes them feel bad. Maybe, maybe I should just really love them by eating dessert for me. It was just... Is that because I care about my brother? No, sorry. I don't care that much about him. It's just that I could, I could like wiggle my way into a dessert is exactly what we do with our fleshly desires it's why folks look it's why we end up doing the things we know we shouldn't and why we don't do the things we know we should because we are master deceivers of ourselves we tell ourselves just listen to the word rational lies and we don't live spirit-filled lives we quench the spirit and so I am, I hate to tell you this because uh, this will apply, I'm certain to some of you. I, I am asking myself now, uh, just because next Sunday's coming, 21 days is over, have I learned all that I need to learn about saying no to legitimate desire? Because in learning to do that, I learn. You really can learn to say no to those outbursts of anger that have haunted you in your entire life by learning the discipline of saying no to coffee. You do not have to satisfy your desires. You've spent your whole life doing it, so you think you do, but you don't have to. You're free. And fasting is simply a, 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 an opportunity to learn in the physical what is most valuable in the spiritual. So if you haven't, jump in and don't stop until you've learned what you really need to learn about that which quenches the spirit in your life. So I learn to deny my desires a body. But I'm learning, which means I fail. Right? Though I'm dead to sin, I still sin. Not because I'm only human, but because I'm learning to live a spirit-filled life after a long time of living a flesh-filled life. So notice where it, he says in verse 13. He says, and do not go on presenting. 
Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Now, I've underlined and do not go on because here's what happens, folks. We try to abstain for a while and then we give in. It's just, I just needed to be said. We just let the words fly. We do something we know we shouldn't do. And then, I know this is, every one of you thought this. Well, I've already blown it. And then you just go on. Yes, I'm not excusing our sin. We will sin. But don't go on doing it. Learn to deny your fleshly desires a body and then quickly confess. And I'm very specific here when I mean when I say quickly confess when I rob God. Don't grow tired of confessing and never believe, don't miss this, never believe the lie that says, hey, God doesn't want to hear your confession. You've confessed that enough. When you're really serious about it, then you confess. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because as long as you fail to confess, you'll remain quenching the spirit. Why rob God? Because this body, when I trusted in Jesus, this body became his. I am not my own any longer. This body is intended to be an instrument of righteousness for him. And when I sin, watch, here's what I'm doing. I'm going, God, I know you purchased my body. I know I belong to you, but I'm going to take it back to satisfy my desires in this moment. And then you can have it back. I'm robbing God. So when I confess, I don't just confess the wrong that I've done. I've confessed the heart that's behind it that says, I really want what I want so much that I'm going to rob the body that has been purchased through the death of Christ on the cross. I'm going to take it back to satisfy me. That's robbing God. I don't have to wonder if you sinned this week. I know you did. I just don't know if you've confessed. And when we sin and we don't confess, we quench the spirit. So he says, learn to deny. And when you fail, don't go on, confess. And then do the opposite, verse 13. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead because that's who you are and your members as instruments of righteousness to God because that's who you are now. So we learn the practice of denying my desires, a body of confessing when I rob my body back from God and after I confess, I say again, Lord, I present myself again. This mouth, yours to speak with. These hands, yours to work with. These feet, yours to go with. This mind, yours to think with. That's not just, that's just not crazy words. That's the truth of the gospel. This mind, his to think with. This mouth, his to speak with. That's the spirit-filled life. So what's keeping you? What's keeping you from living a spirit-filled life? He said, either you don't know or you're not considering or you're still stealing from God. So it's possible you've not been born again. Just because you're a church doesn't mean you're born again. Just because you've gone to church for a long time doesn't mean you're born again. Just because you know that Jesus died on the cross for you doesn't mean you've been born again. Some of you thus far have understood the gospel to me. Okay, I'm supposed to live a better life and you're doing your best. And I hope you're at the end of yourself this morning and right there in your, in your seat right now, you'll say, God, I've tried. I can't. I need you. I need you to be a save, my savior. I need you to set me free. I need you to make me new because I can't 
do this. Begins by believing in Jesus and death, burial, and resurrection and having the spirit of God placed in you because you cannot walk in the spirit who does not live in you. Have you been born again? If you're not sure, stay after. Let's talk seriously. I hate for you to leave not knowing for sure that you've been made new in Jesus. Or maybe you've been made new. You know his death, but you haven't understood his resurrection. My story. Or maybe it's not a matter you have been born again and you do know, but there's unconfessed sin in your life. And it's just been piling up. And you've given up confession because you feel badly for how long you've confessed and nothing ever seems to change. And so you're just stuck. Can't live a spirit-filled life until there's a, a confession for how you've been robbing God to use the body he redeemed for your purposes. So I can't make you confess, but I can give you a few minutes to do so. So I'm going to invite Shirley to come on up. and Isaac. They're going to simply play. But what I want you to do is to simply, I think bowing your heads in this case will help you. Concentrate, be personal, bow your heads. And whatever you know, because you know when you've robbed God, you're, you're not deceived, you know it. Take that to the Lord right now. Whether it's been an action or an attitude or thought. Confess any way that you've been robbing God of his body. Invite him to cleanse you. Don't stop with the wrong that you have done. Confess the right that you have not. Invite him to bring anything to mind. this will just be the beginning of a process but having begun to confess would you declare this together out loud that we would invite the Holy Spirit welcome him to do his work in our hearts
It's not something that we engage in once a week. Confession is that which as soon as we recognize, God, I've stolen your body to satisfy my desires. I repent of that. That is not who you've made me to be. I present this body to you again. See, that is, that's the song. Let us become more aware of your presence, that you dwell within me, that you've made me to live a spirit-filled life. You've made me to be an instrument through which more people would find more life in Jesus. And so as you go out these doors here in South over North, as you leave, would you leave with a fresh understanding I'm not going to go home and live a better life. I'm a new person to go home to live a new life in the power of the Holy Spirit. He is to my living for God as Jesus is to my coming to God. If we can pray for you in any way, men and women, out around the corner, straight out of north, men and women available to pray with you would be one of our great privileges. Would you go as new people to walk in newness of life, like a supernatural life still in your common body? God bless.